Tonight, on this Thanksgiving holiday, we have a special feature interview with Frank Buckley, the Canadian who wrote campaign speeches for Donald Trump. It's October 8th, and this is The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government well, you'll remember Frank Buckley, he's the law professor from Washington, D.C., who shocked the CBC by telling them something they had never heard before, namely that not everyone thinks Christia Freeland is the diplomat of the year. And they sent down Christia Freeland uh, to negotiate, and she went out of her way to convey her contempt for Trump. Uh, and that just struck me as, as about the stupidest thing you could do. Unless, of course, you, you would be just as happy to see the whole thing fail. Convey her, uh, sorry, can you give that to me again? What example do you have of the minister expressing her views on Donald Trump? That was gorgeous. And wouldn't you know it, Professor Buckley was right. He knew something that not a single one of the CBC's thousands of employees had ever heard before. They were shocked to hear it until Donald Trump himself said it. Uh, we're very unhappy with the negotiations and the negotiating style of Canada. Uh, we don't like their representative very much. So maybe he's a bit more plugged in to Canada-U.S. affairs than the usual Ottawa suspects all running errands for Justin Trudeau's Liberals. I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, other than a handful of alternative online news sites like ours and the Toronto Sun on its good days, if you want to know the problems with Justin Trudeau's government, you have to rely on foreign media, whether it's serious things like Trudeau bringing that terrorist with him on his trip to India, or silly things like Trudeau saying the word people kind, remember that? Or Trudeau's own Me Too moment, where he sexually groped a young female reporter in BC. You've got to read about that in the US or UK or even Australian papers. Canadian media, especially Trudeau's CBC, just won't, won't cover it. They all want to keep their jobs either at the CBC State Broadcaster or get a job with the CBC State Broadcaster when their private sector job lays them off. Or the real score, of course, is getting a six-figure job with the actual government itself. Here's Post Media's leftist feminist columnist Paula Simons, full-time ad advocate for anything Trudeauvian or New Democrat, uh, who just took an appointment to the Senate representing Alberta, actually stabbing Alberta's Senate reform hopes in the back. Funny, when Paula Simons was a columnist, she wrote this. The Senate has been tainted, corrupted by decades of hack, patronage appointments, liberal and Tory. It's a mess. Well, that was other people, you see, because now that she's taken appointment, it's for holy reasons. She's pure. And her job for life with Trudeau, it's, it's different, you see. Anyways, that's why I like Frank Buckley, plain spoken, and he's a Canadian who is now down in Washington, D.C., so he knows Trump world better than anyone at the CBC does, because he also knows Canada, too. It's amazing how integral he's been in the Trump campaign, speech writing for Trump and others. If he were a Canadian working for Obama, he would be on TV in Canada every day, but he's a conservative working for Trump, so they have him on rarely, and they attack him when he comes on. Oh, well, I find him interesting. And I sat down with him recently to talk about his new book. It's American in its focus, but I think it might apply to Canada, too. 
What do you think? Here's Frank Buckley talking about his new book, The Republican Workers' Party. That's next, after this short break. Well, I remember when it was the exact moment that I realized Donald Trump could win and would win the 2016 presidential election. I had made the mistake until that moment of following the narrative of the mainstream media that it was about Hollywood celebrities endorsing Hillary Clinton, or maybe it was about the emails uh, and motivating conservatives. No, no. The moment when I understood how Donald Trump would win the Electoral College was from the most unlikely source, namely a left-wing schlep named Michael Moore, when he gave this speech in Michigan. Take a look. Whether Trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting. And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. The human hand grenade that they can legally throw into the system that stole their lives from them. Well, I saw that and I thought, oh my God, that is exactly how it's gonna happen. And Hillary Clinton didn't know it. The only Democrat ad I saw in the whole campaign that gave me a shiver, that made me think, oh my God, they might actually win, was this ad by the United States Steelworkers they got very little actual play. Remember this one? My name's Jack Tippled, and I've been a steel worker for 24 years. This election is a little bit different, and Donald Trump does talk a good game when it, when it comes to China and Mexico. But let me tell you a little something about Donald Trump. The Chinese have been illegally dumping steel and aluminum into this country. The problem is that Donald Trump is buying this steel and aluminum and he's using it in his projects. Now Trump says he's gonna rebuild the steel industry. That steel could have been made here in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or Ohio. Another thing, Donald Trump says our wages are too high. Let's see him go into one of our plants with his soft hands and work for a day, and then tell us our wages are too high. Donald Trump says he uses bankruptcy as a tool. I've seen what bankruptcy does to our brothers and sisters. I've seen them losing their houses and their cars, unable to provide food to put on their tables, can't pay their bills. We don't have a, a father that can give us a million dollars and bail us out. Look, Donald Trump is nothing more than a boss. And when you go to pull that lever on November 8th, think of that's who you want as your boss. Yeah, I bet Jack Tipple's voting for Trump now. Well, what is this new Republican Party that cobbled together previously Democrat voting blue-collar workers from the Rust Belt? How does a billionaire attract that kind of voter? Well, a man who I think has cracked the code is our friend Frank Buckley. He's a professor at George Mason University at the Scalia School of Law, and he's the author of the new book called the Republican Workers' Party, and he joins us now via Skype. Professor Buckley, great to have you back on the show. I should just say before we get started, your appearance discussing NAFTA and Christia Freeland 
irritating Washington, D.C., that was very prescient because shortly after that, Donald Trump himself remarked on how much he didn't think Christy Freeland was a good fit for Canada. Absolutely right. No, she was a disaster. And, uh, you know, full marks to Jared for pulling it off. I, you know, I mean, a lot of people were worried about Trump being somebody who was just, you know, totally opposed to any free trade agreement. What he showed is, no, he knows how to work the deal. Yeah. Right. Well, that's very interesting. And I encourage our viewers to go back and see that interview you did with me, which was one of our most popular in the last month, because I think you had the straight talk on NAFTA that Canadians just weren't getting uh, from other media sources. But today I want to talk about something related. And you call it the Republican Workers' Party. And that's that's a, a, a phrase that I think a lot of folks on the left would regard as an oxymoron. I wrote a book once called Ethical Oil. And that made the left go crazy because <laughs> they thought there's no such thing as ethical oil. Is that the same reaction you yeah. get to that phrase, Republican it, Workers' Party? Totally. Um, and, you know, it drove the left absolutely nuts. I debated a couple of lefties a couple of weeks back. Uh, Michael Kazin from Descent Magazine and uh, uh, somebody from American Prospect, Robert Kuttner. And they were outraged by the use of the word workers. I mean, it, it's, it's a label that Trump himself used, but they thought the Democrats had property rights on the word workers. And what I said, well, you know, at, at one time you did, there was an old honorable, you know, Democratic Party, the party of Tip O'Neill, you know, not worried about that sort of thing, uh, except that now you've become the party of transgender bathrooms and bicycle lanes. So you've given up, you know, the, you know, the, the, the old concern of the Democrats for, you know, the average American worker, and you've become the party of an, uh, you know, an, an ultra elite that's distanced itself from ordinary Americans. And you know what? We ate your lunch. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've observed that in Canada. We've had a lot of debates up here, Professor, about oil and gas. So that's guys who work outdoors, wear hard hats, got gals too, but mainly guys, um, drive trucks, drill things, mine things. They come home, they're tired, part of their body hurts. That used to be the bedrock of our socialist party up here called the NDP. But there's been a war against industry, and those guys... You know, coal miners, perfect example. A coal miner would have been in a union and would have had a tough job and would have been, you know, someone a, a left-wing politician would have tried to romance. But under Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and the modern left, they try and stamp out coal uh, saying it's anti-environmental. They don't care about the workers. They care about, you know, some frog of some sort or some bee of some sort. You know, the NDP is a good example of what we're talking about. Hey, you know, look, I became an American in 2014. Before then, I was simply a Canadian and still am. And I, no, moreover, I'm a Saskatchewan boy. So, I've, you know, I've met Tommy Douglas uh, and that was a different NDP. I mean, the same kind of thing has happened to the NDP right now. It's become the prisoner of identity politics. And it's not really on the side of ordinary Canadian workers. Yeah. Same thing here. You know what? What's so interesting, I was just reading a little bit about your book. Um, the Republican Party in the States, it certainly wasn't the Republican Workers' Party until Trump made it so. I mean, Mitt Romney, and, and I give him much more credit than many others do because he's such a, I think he really is a good egg. Uh, he's been yeah. anti-Trump, but he, he's lived a, 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 an exemplary life. Um, I, I think, though, that a lot of Republicans and the Republican elite and the brain trust it was sort of think tank, uh, think tankers based in Washington 
who had academic debates about things and policies in the abstract, I think they were in a way disconnected from the regular cut and thrust of, of ordinary Americans' lives. It was sort of what Charles Murray wrote about in his book, Coming Apart. It was elite Republicans in elite postal codes sh rubbing shoulders with other, with other intellectual elites, and they forgot about flyover country. You know, they became well, sort of like the snobs of the Democrats, too. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, they're, they're an inside the Beltway group of people. They like to pretend that they're the brains of the outfit, but they're more like the stomach. They, they just eat up all of the donor money from conservative donors. And, you know, the, 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 the classic gap by Romney was a distinction between makers and takers, but that came from, you know, the American Enterprise Institute. So they're around, they're still, you know, getting all the money, but they're pretty much irrelevant in terms of the policies of the Republican Workers' Party. I mean, they, they really don't get it, nor does the Republican Party quite yet. It's a, it's a party in shambles. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I mean, I, when I was a student, I would go to the Fraser Institute uh, events, and they're very free market oriented, and I really admired uh, Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize winning economist. And I, and I still believe in those things, but I, I don't think the world is as simple as, well, if you bring in migrant workers, you pay five cents less for a tomato. That's, that is absolutely yeah. true, but you have $5 in cost, whether it's crime or your healthcare and schools are overcrowded, or you have cultural changes that you didn't sign up for. So, uh, you know, I, I think that a purely economic analysis, like free trade, a unilateral declaration of free trade, which some libertarians yeah. would call for, or open borders of all sorts, those may make sense if you're only doing math, but if you're looking at other things, they're a real problem, especially in the age of mass migration and terrorism. That's my view. What do you think, Professor? Absolutely right. You know, the, the, the problem with the, the old Republican Party is it managed to convey a perfect adherence to libertarian principles, but at the same time, uh, an indifference to people. And, you know, you know, look, frankly, people are not going to vote on the basis of philosophy, right? I mean, they're going to ask themselves, is, you know, is this guy going to make things better for us? And, and, and Trump communicated that wonderfully. Nobody inside the Beltway got it. But you drove outside the Beltway for 20 miles, and all of a sudden, in 2016, that summer, all the signs said Trump, and many of them were hand-painted signs. Some of them were on the sides of barns, right? You, you, those were the only things you saw. So if you lived outside the Beltway, you got it, right? But, uh, but even now, you know, people, people still have not quite figured it out. You know, I, I remember watching Al Gore embarrass Ross Perot on tariffs because Ross Perot was worried about uh, libertarian free trade that had a corrosive effect on communities. And there, there was a meanness there, and Ross Perot was a little quirky, and, and, and he lost that fight. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I've been following Donald Trump long enough to know that he was always against free trade, first with Japan and then with China and other places. And I always thought, that's not good. And even yeah. in his trade war that he threatened with Canada, it would make cars in America more expensive. It would. It would have tacked on a 20% tariff on our cars. And I thought, well, that's going to hurt Americans. Well, it's true. It would make Americans pay more for fruit, more for cars. But the benefit that we weren't thinking of just as libertarians was when you also have men with jobs and you also have communities that aren't hollowed out. You, 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 
maybe you're paying people a little bit more at the uh, Tim Hortons um, restaurant because you're not bringing in temporary foreign workers. So maybe you're paying an extra nickel for your coffee, but you've got a, a working wage for some. These are lefty yeah. thoughts, but a capitalist billionaire like Trump was articulating them. It's hard to, it's hard to grok if you're a lot old yeah. school conservative. Well, here's, you know, here's the thing that made all the difference in the world, and most people didn't notice it, but I did, and it was this. Back around 2012, for the first time, Americans reported that they no longer thought their kids would have it better off than they did. And, and Barack Obama got it and said, I'm going to make things better. And, you know, the Republicans really simply didn't answer that. I mean, Mitt Romney came out with a, what, I think a 57-point, uh, you know, plan of action, which really had nothing to do with with uh, the mobility I'm describing. And what I'm describing is the American dream. I mean, the American dream was dead and pro Obama promised to get it back and he completely failed. Right. We were told to get used to the new normal. In his last year of office, the growth was about one point seven percent. And we had thrown every little tool in the, the Keynesian uh, toolbox at this, we had increased our debt from 10 to $19 trillion a year, and it didn't do a darn thing in terms of bringing back jobs. So, you know, we had on the one hand, a, a tone deaf Republican party. On the, the other hand, we had a Democratic party that got it, but failed to produce anything. And there was Donald. And he was the one guy who said, who firstly, who communicated he was tough enough to take on the Dems. And you see right now in the Kavanaugh hearings, just the kind of toughness you need. And secondly, I mean, un, as opposed to all of the other Republicans, basically, he said, look, I'm on the side of the ordinary Joe and all of us. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about uh, another Republican leader. I'm referring to Scott Walker, uh, the governor, who has had big battles with unions in his state. He's governor of Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. And They've had a recall vote. I mean, he has been battling the unions. And one of his things was to end mandatory union dues. And you can imagine how hard the unions fought against that because he basically collected their revenue for them. And when it was no longer mandatory, uh, a lot of uh, workers said, yeah, I don't want to pay money for that. I think that defunding or ending the, the mandatory powers of unions is absolutely important if any conservatives ever going to have a chance how do you take away the unfair political tools of unions like scott walker did but also well, me, friendly enough to unions to get the grassroots members to support you as a conservative well okay firstly i, I worked in the campaign i wrote speeches for the candidate and for his family i advised on transition so my book, The Republican Workers' Party, does give an inside view of what happened. And we discovered, you know, or we decided early on, we're not going to beat up on private sector unions because these are our people. These guys are going to vote for our candidate. Public sector, totally different. And in terms of Scott Walker, mostly we're talking about opposition from public sector unions. But, you know, we're, you know, we were on the side of, of private sector union members. And, and part of our message was, you know, the best thing you can do for a union worker is make sure that he's got a job, right? So we wanted to provide the economic conditions where that would happen. And you know what, guess what? The last two quarters, we've had growth at 4%, uh, 4.2 and 4%. Third quarter is going to be about the same. I mean, 
Nobody thought anything like this was possible. I mean, you know, Obama said it's going to be magic. That's the secret to it all. And the secret involved taking back all the things that the left dearly loves, the regulatory state, which is the, you know, the, the pig pen in which they live, right? And, you know, we, we, we gave tax reform, which basically matches or betters Canada's treatment of capital gains tax. In other words, America right now is a tax haven, right? Mm -hmm. In the past, we shipped jobs to other countries. Now we're shipping jobs to America from other countries. Yeah, and, and that is something. I mean, I, I'm a Trump fan. I, I honestly thought his promise of bringing factories back and heavy industry back, I thought that was just a pipe dream when Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, announced that he was repatriating, what, a quarter of a trillion dollars and paying uh, an 11-figure tax for the pleasure of doing so, I yeah. thought, well, maybe it's true. If Apple's bringing a quarter trillion back to America and talking about high-tech manufacturing, my God, maybe it's true. Yeah. Let me say one thing else about the Republican Workers' Party. I mean, you, you might appreciate this, but it, you know, it's not all that far different from a Stephen Harper Tory party, right? In the sense that you know, really early on in the campaign, people asked, oh, this is fine. You know, Trump's all right. I had dinner with a guy from VP at the Charles Koch Institute. He said, yeah, but what about entitlements? And I thought, you idiot. You, you really don't get it. We're not going to go after entitlements. We're not going to touch Social Security. In the past, Republicans had all of these wonderful ideas about privatizing Social Security. And guess what? That was just nuts in terms of you know, the electoral process. America has one of the most generous social safety nets in the world, and you know, on a per capita basis, we're more generous than Canada, hmm. okay? So, yeah, so, you know, we don't spend it wisely, okay, but we spend it in, you know, in 100 odd federal programs as well as state and, and local, right? And, and yeah, there are things you can do about that, but what you don't do is give up on ordinary Americans. So, you know, on one hand, the promise is we're going to give jobs to people who can work. And on the other hand, if somehow you're not able to work, we're going to look after you. We're not going to take things away. You know, we are not one of those green eyeshade Republicans of the kind you saw in the past who basically love to give money to, you know, to the rich people. You know, one thing that I would have liked to have seen, in fact, would have been uh, in the tax reform package, would have been getting rid of some of the perks for the uber wealthy people in America. So, I mean, Steve Bannon wanted a, uh, you know, I think a 40% tax on people making more than $500,000 million, uh, $500, a year. That That's a sort of kind of radical idea that the Trump people were supporting. And, uh, you know, so that we're, you know, we're coming from a very, you know, Stephen Harper Tory place here. But the Trump effect, the Trump factor cannot be understated. I mean, the fact that a... Um, not just rich, not just billionaire, but a, uh, an extravagant, over-the-top, conspicuous consumption yeah, well, and who was in all the rap uh, videos until about three years ago, who was, in, who was all gold and ornate, that he would have a rapport with working well, men and women. That's what course. is so hard to, to figure out. No, it's not hard at all because look, you know, if you're just a regular Joe, you kind of resent it when a politician comes around and talks about how he likes pork rinds. Right. You know, you kind of dislike it 
when you know a guy who is an acid fund manager wears blue jeans and a flannel shirt so you know he's putting you on right trump on the other hand he didn't stoop he didn't condescend he said this is who i am and people loved it you know if you're a you know a regular joe you appreciate people who just live their regular lives they're not going to condescend to you and i'll say one other thing about trump and that is you know the people he loved hanging out with were construction people i mean this is a construction guy right huh. and on any project he he loved just going around talking to people uh working you know building his his hotels these these were more his kind of people. I mean, he he is not a Park Avenue liberal. He's not even close to that. Uh, and this is something regular, ordinary Americans from you know West Virginia, whatever, love. Yeah, you know it's funny. I think of the old uh, joke: the rich are not like us; they have more money, uh, or, yeah. or, or the rich are just like us, but they have more money. As in. Trump is a regular guy who happens to be a billionaire and has a lot of chutzpah. I remember when early in his camp, I think it was 2015, uh, when he was asked, how much money do you have? And someone put a number to him. And, and I knew that any other politician would try and round it down. Oh, no, 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 I'm not rich. Trump did the opposite. He said, yeah. I'm worth way more than that. Yeah. Way right. more. And I thought, that's the opposite of what every handler would try and do they would try and take the plutocrat out of him that's what they tried with Mitt Romney Trump yeah. went the other direction and I think people said right on not only is that yeah. honest, it's entertaining and maybe yeah. he's turning something that the rest of us thought was embarrassing I'm successful saying I'm not embarrassed to be successful and the guy who would say I'm not embarrassed to be a billionaire would also say I'm not embarrassed to support coal which had been made uncool yeah. I'm not embarrassed to support industrial things to get out of the Paris global warming scheme, all these fashionable TED talk circuit things, the, the stuff that Christian Freeland is so expert at that they think is so uncool. Trump loves that stuff. I think you're right. I think he loves dirt and wood and stones and digging yeah. and stuff like that. And hard hats. I've seen pictures right. of him in a hard hat and it doesn't look fake. Yeah, you know, that he got started rebuilding the skating rink at Rockefeller Center right now, you know, it was going to take you know, 10 years and he did it in a couple of months. I mean, yeah, he likes getting his hands dirty that way. I'll say something else about the kind of people who supported him. There's this one county in America, which is sacred ground for the left. It's Harlan County, Kentucky. It's where the series Justified is set. But it's also the site of the union war in the 1930s, unions against bosses, Union United Mine Workers. Mm -hmm. And Pete Seeger wrote a song about this called Which Side Are You On? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Harlan, I mean, it's, it's heavy-duty left-wing stuff. Harlan County voted 85% for Trump in 2016. Wow. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know that. It's very, I, and I know that song. I've heard Billy Bragg sing it. It's, yeah. a, it's a chilling yeah. song. Which side are you on, boys? It's a, it's a hell yeah. of a song. Uh, well, you know some. It's our song. Yeah, I didn't know. That. I, I thought that was Billy Bragg's song. He's a he's a communist. Well, no, it, no, it has it has all those left wing associations, but it is a song for the Trump campaign. Isn't that interesting? Which side are you on, boys? Well, we are on the side, side of the workers, and we're not on the side of people inside the Beltway here. Yeah, uh, you've been very generous with your time, and I thank you for that. I, I really enjoyed our last conversation, so thank you for letting me stretch this one out. The book is the Republican Workers Party. We'll have a link to the Amazon. Uh, page uh, below this video so folks can buy it. Um, I, I have two more questions for you, Professor. Yeah. Uh, one is, I believe that the promise of the wall was the most meaningful thing Trump did. And I used to say, and I haven't said it recently, but I just haven't thought about it. I used to say, 
if Trump doesn't build the wall, no matter what else he does, he loses. If Trump does build the wall, no matter what else he does, he wins. Now, I'm not sure if I believe that math anymore, but I did say that quite a bit in last year. I think the wall is a bunch of things. I think it is stopping illegal immigration, so it's a crime statement. It's a statement about protecting jobs for American workers from being undercut by cheap illegal labor. I think it's worries about demographic change and cultural change and law breaking. But I think it's also proof, tangible proof, that the guy's a builder, not just a talker. So to me, it's all those things. It's a symbol, and you can test it. Is the wall built, yes or no? It's not some vague, abstract yeah. paper thing. What's up? Because Trump is coming up on his second year of it since his election, and there's no wall. And don't tell me those little test sites of a few meters is a wall. There's no wall. There's no wall, but you know something? The wall, you're right, was a symbol for a whole bunch of things. And mostly it was a symbol for a completely broken immigration system, which involves not just illegal, but also legal immigration. Very early on in the campaign, I had written a, a previous book. I had a whole chapter on how crazy our immigration system is and how the way to do it is to adopt the Canadian system. And, and Trump uh, publicly praised the book for specifically immigration. The immigration plan that he came up with, uh, proposed by, by Senator Cotton and, and Purdue, is, is the Canadian system, right? And, you know, and, and, you know, it was great because people would say, racist, racist, racist. Yeah. And, you know, the answer was, well, this is Canadian. Now, how can you say this, right? I mean, it, it is, it, you know, the, the key is in this, as in all things, will this make the American people better off? It's you know, interesting. Real I, simple. I think most can, by far, I would say, I would bet you that fewer than, I bet you 1% of Canadians know that yeah. Trump has uh, uh, remarked with uh, admiration on our immigration system. I, I don't think any Canadian, I've never heard it discussed in Canada. I've seen that from well, time to time in America. No Canadian says that because that's contrary to all our uh, preconceptions well, about Trump. I'll make two points. Number one, uh, Tom Cotton was liaising with Harper's immigration people and drafting it. And number two, uh, you may be right about Canadians not knowing it, because uh, when I uh, kind of made that point in a CBC interview, uh, I had to walk off the set, basically, hmm. because the interviewer was so obnoxious. Yeah, I remember that. That's CBC. That. Yeah. Uh, here, let me just take 30 seconds and show our viewers. I, I, you're talking about Rosemary Barton. You've had a couple appearances. I enjoyed your one with uh, Reshmi Nair when she was just stunned that anyone uh -huh. f could think that Christia Freeland was less than a warrior princess. But this is the one I yeah. think you're referring to. It's you with Rosemary Barton. <laughs> and she, she gave you a little bit of a lecture here, just a reminder for our viewers. Well, we also have social liberalism, though, that allows people to be given things and a government that is trying and to Canadian correct social inequality. over America is just astounding. United States has a welfare system more generous than Canada. I know you don't believe it, it's true. America has 72 different federal welfare schemes. It has a host of state ones. In terms of welfare per GDP, it is, I think, the second most generous country in the world. Okay, so it does When was does the last time you lived in Canada, Mr. Buckley? Last time I lived in Canada was about 25 years ago. Right. So, so forgive me if I know more about the country than you. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. That's Frank Buckley. On hope hope you learned something. Thank you. Coming up. Well, Professor, you've been with us for almost half an hour. And I know you got to go, but please let me squeeze out one more question. Just sure. thank you for indulging me. Um, 
I'm so glad you, you told me the story about Harlan County, uh, Kentucky, and I'm going to research that and try and learn about it because it's very interesting. And, I, and I, that song, Which Side Are You On, is a very powerful song for many yeah. reasons. And I, I've often resented songs that uh, prey on jealousy or envy and, and sometimes socialist songs, Which Side Are You On? And the whole Occupy Wall Street movement, there was a very definite strain of envy and jealousy in tearing down others. But some, well, you know, you know what we did? We called them out for their hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, they the, said they were on the side of ordinary people. We said, you are cruel hypocrites. Well, here's, yeah. here's where I was going with that. There are some forms of elitism that either are not earned or are abused. And so when I say, which side are you on? I don't think of a billionaire who earned his way through genius and hard work. I think, when I think of which side are you on, boys, which side are you on, I think of the abusive liberties taken by Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Jack Dorsey of Twitter, the people who use our information technology that has us all hooked and has us all dependent on them, and who are now, once we're in, using them abusively to censor and shame and scold and put their finger on the scale of elections and shut down uh, voices they disagree. And they're almost all left-wing, they're almost all Democrats, they're almost all in San Francisco area, and they have more power than the Rockefeller, Carnegie's of their day, and you had Reagan bust the trust with the phone companies, you had Teddy Roosevelt bust the trust with, with some of the oil companies. Is this something Donald Trump would say, I'm gonna help the little guy, I'm gonna help 350 million little guys in North America, and I'm gonna take on those privileged elites that are abusing their privileges. Well, you know, Americans are pretty good at snipping out hypocrisy for the most part, and you know, we really smell it from the left, from the elite left, because they're Bourbons who pretend that they're Jacobins. And it doesn't fit. Now what is, tell me what you mean by that. I saw, I saw that uh, note, and, and I know a little bit about the Bourbons and the Jap Jacobins, but not enough well, to, to be smart about it. it, it yeah, well, these are the guys who are basically in the position of the French aristocracy circa 1780, and they pretend that they're the guy running the guillotine, and right, they're not. Right, they're the guys right. who are being executed, right, right? or should be. <laughs> so, you know, like I say, we, you know, it all smells, and we can figure out the hypocrisy behind it, and we know they're not on our side. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what he does because, I, as I've said, if Trump doesn't bust them, they'll bust him. I really believe that. Well, Professor, yeah. I can't keep you any longer, although I would enjoy it. And maybe one day we'll have to sit down over a beer and I'll steal you for an hour. And, uh, but I know our viewers really enjoyed your last visit with us, so thank you for being back here. And congratulations on the book. We'll just put it up on the screen here for one more moment. It's called The Republican Workers' Party and uh, folks can get it on Amazon on the link below. Great to see you again, thank you. Uh, it's always great to be with you, Ezra. Right. Thanks so much. Well, my pleasure. There you have it, Professor Frank Buckley of George Mason University Scalia School of Law. The book, The Republican Workers' Party. I think it is a form of a Rosetta Stone to understand Trump and his victory. What do you think? Let me know, send me an email. Stay with us, more ahead on The Rebel.
Well, that's Frank Buckley. I like his style. And, uh, you know, he's been Canadian for most of his life, but he's, he's down in Washington. You would think he would be a resource for all sorts of Canadians, for our government maybe, certainly for the media. For He's a professor, so other uh, scholars. But because he's a conservative, he's anathema. The only Canadians, <laughs> the only Americans that Canadians want to talk to are Obama leftovers. I see the former Obama ambassador, Bruce Heyman, who was appointed to be the ambassador to Canada under Obama because he was a fundraising bundler at Goldman Sachs. So he put together millions of dollars for Obama and his reward was a patronage gig for up here in Canada. He somehow remains the go-to guy for Canada-U.S. relations, a fundraising Obama hack. You know, I'm sure he has an opinion, and I'm sure he has a lot to say, but could it be less plugged in to the realities of 2019 in Donald Trump? I mean, why not just call him your Democrat teddy bear you like to hug? Don't pretend that Bruce Heyman is plugged in, but they love him at the CBC. Well, here at The Rebel, we try and talk to people who actually know a little bit, and I, I felt like I learned something from Frank Buckley. What do you think? Send me a note with your views, Ezra at TheRebel.media, and we'll be back tomorrow with a whole new show. Thanks for watching this Thanksgiving Monday. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.